is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to have a lot of fun today, but you need to stay all three hours. I will not be here tomorrow, July 4th. We will have a best of. And I will not be here Thursday or Friday. We have two wonderful guest hosts. But I'm here right now. And I really hope you listen to all three hours because by the time we're done, you will know more than anybody you know. And we're going to tie all this together to what's going on in the country today. So we're not going to regurgitate what you've already heard all day long from morning shows, mid-morning shows, afternoon, mid-afternoon, and so forth and so on. Tomorrow's July 4th, Independence Day. Yeah, duh, okay. But it was on July 2nd when the delegates at the Second Continental Congress actually signed the Declaration of Independence. Did you know that? Now, they had a final version that was printed on July 4th. And they had to find a printer and actually print it. And that took some time. And then it was read publicly first on July 8th. And that is when the famous Liberty Bell rang, July 8th, 1776. The primary author of the Declaration of Independence, as you know, was Thomas Jefferson. He was all of 33 years old. 50 years later to the day. July 4th, 1826. He would die. At the age of 83. A few hours later. Another of the great founders. John Adams. Would die. Again, 50 years after the declaration. July 4th, 1826, just a few hours after Jefferson. And his final words were said to be, Jefferson lives, but Jefferson had just died. Those two men were brutal political opponents. Brutal political opponents. Once we had a republic, once we had a constitution... Two different parties, Adams being the second president, Jefferson being the third. An enormously vicious campaign, Jefferson and his party defeated Adams and his party. But they would become best friends and constant, constant correspondence in their latter years. What other president died on July 4th? James Monroe. James Monroe died July 4th, 1831, the last of the founders. And as a footnote, the first Congress, after the adoption of the Constitution and its ratification, James Madison ran in a district in Virginia for the House of Representatives, and he won. You know who he defeated? James Monroe. 
James Monroe and the uh, Virginia House of Delegates opposed the ratification of the Constitution, even though it was eventually ratified in Virginia. There's so many cool facts that I could share with you. Who was the oldest delegate? Here's one at the Second Continental Convention where the Declaration of Independence was signed. It was Benjamin Franklin. He was 70. I don't think people quite appreciate this man, Benjamin Franklin. He was an early newsman, printer, at a time when it was very dangerous, even in the colonies. Often you needed a special stamp and approval by the colonial legislatures to run a printing press, to write a pamphlet, to publish a newspaper, particularly if it was considered hostile to the governing uh, colonies at the time, or colon- that particular colony at the time. They would shut you down. Freedom of the press didn't just happen. It evolved over time. And Franklin was at the Albany Congress that you and I discussed the other day, and that will be part of our best of tomorrow. Franklin was constantly organizing for and agitating for American independence. And at the Continental, excuse me, and at the Constitutional Convention, he was very ill. His body was racked with gout. He could not stand up, he could not walk, he could barely speak, but he could write. And there he was at the Constitutional Convention, just as he had been at the Second Continental Congress when the Declaration of Independence was signed. And obviously, he signed it. He signed both documents. And he was at the Albany Congress as well. Quite a remarkable man. All of them were remarkable men. All of them. They were all white, some were slaveholders, some were not. I just point that out because our friends on the left are very race conscious and rationality unconscious. Let me play a little clip for you, since tomorrow is Independence Day, of the story of the United States Declaration of Independence with a hat tip to the History Channel. Cut, nine, go. The Declaration of Independence, for me, is one of the best pieces of writing I've ever seen. It's a revolutionary document for a revolutionary statement. You cannot help but be stirred when you read those words. Thomas Jefferson's writing uh, is absolutely magnificent. When he wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That was the first time anybody had bothered to write that down. And then you turn the clock back and think of when he was writing, how young he was, what a statement it was, given the history of the world at that point. And you feel the excitement of being on the cusp of something so profound that it's hard to put it into words. If you review our Declaration of Independence, it has those beautiful words about all men are created equal and governments are formed among men to 
represent the people. It was a good statement of what we were all about. And that's the only thing people remember about the Declaration of Independence, that it was about all men are created equal. But it's really a roughly a 28-count indictment against King George. And therefore, because of the, the way in which the, the British Crown treated us, we now declare that we are a free country, and we want to let you know why now. If we're going to have a war, we're going to have a war. In 1776, you have the Continental Congress meeting in, uh, in Philadelphia, debating uh, a unified position for the colonies with respect to the hostilities that have already broken out. And the fundamental issue uh, between them is, are they fighting for their rights as Englishmen within the British Empire, uh, or are they going to fight uh, for independence? And they're seriously divided. People who are perfectly willing to res uh, resist the tyranny of the British government are not necessarily willing to strike for independence. But there's a groundswell in favor of it, I think in large measure, because they recognize that having provoked the lion this far, uh, there's no going back. All of a sudden you have this group of people who are going, no, we're, we're not part of some great chain of being with the king at the top of it. We are free people. We, we can vote for who we want to have in charge. And we're not going to tolerate you telling us that we have some class status we have to be trapped in. It says, you know, we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, meaning that Parliament in London, the King himself, uh, the courts cannot interfere and take away your rights because the state can't take power from us. It's a, even to this day, it's probably the most central difference between America and every other country in the world. It goes well beyond what was needed in order to declare independence. It, it establishes a philosophical basis for a civil democracy in which all persons are guaranteed rights by virtue of their personhood. This political genius, not just in Jefferson, but in Adams and all the other people who collected here, they saw a new time for humankind, which is that we can be free and that we can make decisions for ourselves. And so the question is, what does all of this mean? This Declaration of Independence. Why did they take so much time to explain their philosophy of humanity? I'll explain it when we return. Mark Lovin. months, Jefferson suffered horribly. He had terrible rheumatism. He had a chronic bowel problem. It could have been uh, Crohn's disease. It could have been ulcerated colitis. Nobody really knows. But it was quite debilitating. He had swollen legs and painful joints. He had a terrible open boil on his jaw. He apparently had an enlarged prostate which was blocking his ability to urinate. 
and the doctor at the time used a device uh, to open up his urinary tract, but back then they didn't sterilize it, so it caused uh, kidney disease. So uh, then the, uh, the chronic bowel problems seemed to abate for a while. But by June 26, he was bedridden. But two days before that, on June 24, 1826, Jefferson, who was quite ill and who would die 10 days later, wrote his final letter to Roger Whiteman. Check that. Roger Waitman from Monticello. This is in my book, Rediscovering Americanism. Declining his invitation to participate in the 50th anniversary celebration of the Declaration of Independence. Little did Jefferson know he would die that day, 10 days later. In great pain from his numerous ailments, and by the way, now writing with his left hand, since he had earlier broken his right hand and it didn't heal properly. Jefferson wrote this, his last letter. Respected sir, the kind invitation I received from you on the part of the citizens of the city of Washington to be present with them at their celebration of the 50th anniversary of American independence is one of the surviving signers of an instrument pregnant with our own and the fate of the world is most flattering to myself and heightened by the honorable accompaniment proposed by the comfort of such a journey. Then he goes on in the letter. But acquiescence is a duty under circumstances not placed among those we are permitted to control. I should indeed, with peculiar delight, have met and exchanged these congratulations personally with the small band, the remnant, that host of worthies who joined with us on that day in the bold and doubtful election we were to make for our country between submission or the sword. To have enjoyed with them the consolatory fact that our fellow citizens, after half a century of experience and prosperity, continue to approve the choice we made. May it be to the world what I believe it will be, to some parts sooner, to others later, but finally to all. The signal of arousing men to burst the chains under which monkish ignorance and superstition had persuaded them to bind themselves and to assume the blessings and security of self-government. That form which we have substituted restores the free right to the unbounded exercise of reason and freedom of opinion. All eyes are opened or opening to the rights of man. The general spread of the light of science is already laid open to every view. The palpable truth that the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles on their backs, nor a favored few booted and spurred, ready to ride them legitimately by the grace of God. These are grounds of hope for others. For ourselves, let the annual return of this day forever refresh our recollections of these rites and an undiminished devotion to them. And he goes on with regret that he cannot attend. And as I said, this is June 4, 1826. On June 26, two days later, he is bedridden, and eight days after that, he dies. A few hours before John Adams passes away. Now, there's more to the story. There's more to the story that I want to talk to you about, and I really do hope 
that you'll stick with us through the three hours. What tends to happen in the three-hour radio shows, people tend to peel off. Well, that's fine. If you've got things to do, I understand. But there's a reason I'm going through all this, not just because it's historically you know, bracing and crucial, but it has a lot to do with today. Now, the beginning of the Declaration of Independence states when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind. It says further, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Before the Civil War and during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln would read those words over and over and over again in public to remind the people of the United States and the world what the Civil War was all about and how the men who founded this country were geniuses, men of extraordinary brilliance, who left it to their progeny to address this issue of slavery as they were unable to address it during their time. But there's more, more. Stay with me. I'll be right back. With the daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. The playlist of Great American Values continues on The Mark Levin Show. Call Mark now at 877-381-3811. Most of what you've learned in literally 30 minutes is not taught in most of America. So we will teach America right here. And again, there's a reason I'm doing all this. Primarily because July 4th is tomorrow. Primarily because we need to understand our history. But it's more than that. It directly affects what's taking place today. I'm really hoping you'll stick with me. Now, these words in the Declaration, in the first paragraph, and the second paragraph, the near-universal appeal of this wording and these principles among America's founders is underscored further in other important historical documents of this period. 
The Virginia Declaration of Rights was adopted on June 12, 1776, predating the Declaration of Independence by a few weeks. It was principally drafted by George Mason, who would also play a significant role at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. The prominence of the Virginia Declaration is indisputable, as some of its language was in fact borrowed by Jefferson in drafting the Declaration of Independence. Both men borrowed some phrases and arguments, points, from John Locke. More on that in a moment. Also, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Samuel Adams used similar language in drafting future declarations of rights and constitutions for their own states. Section 1 of the Virginia Declaration provides, quote, that all men are by nature equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights, of which when they enter into a state of society, they cannot by any compact deprive or divest their posterity, namely the enjoyment of life and liberty with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. The Pennsylvania Declaration of Rights, adopted on August 16, 1776, a little over a month after the Declaration of Independence. The main author was Benjamin Franklin. It states in Section 1, All men are born equally free and independent and have certain natural, inherent, and inalienable rights, amongst which are the enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring and possessing and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Article 1 of the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights, adopted in 1780, and whose primary authors included John Adams and Samuel Adams, they were cousins, states all men are born free and equal and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties, that of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and fine, that of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. But the Declaration... The Declaration of Independence rightly stands as the formal consensus proclamation for America's independence and founding. After several iterations, it was adopted by the Second Continental Congress, which had initially convened in Philadelphia in May in 1775 after the battles of Lexington and Concord, which we discussed earlier in the week. All the colonies were represented. And while most of the delegates initially opposed independence as Congress's entreaties for peace were met with intensified British military aggression, it became clear that the colonies would have to choose either independence or subjugation. Now, on May 8, 1825, 49 years after the adoption of the Declaration of Independence, 49 years, in a letter replying to Henry Lee about the source of the ideas and language in the Declaration, Jefferson succinctly explained this. He wrote, and I quote, With respect to our rights and the acts of the British government contravening those rights, there was but one opinion on this side of the water. All American Whigs thought alike on these subjects. When forced, therefore, to resort to arms for redress, an appeal to the tribunal of the world was deemed proper for our justification. This was the object of the Declaration of Independence. He goes on. 
not to find out new principles or new arguments never before thought of, not merely to say things which had never been said before, but to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent and to justify ourselves in the independent stand we are compelled to take. Neither aiming at originality of principle or sentiment, nor yet copied from any particular and previous writing, it was intended to be an expression of the American mind, and to give to that expression the proper tone and spirit called for by the occasion. All its authority rests, then, on the harmonizing sentiments of the day, whether expressed in conversation, in letters, printed essays, or in the elementary books of public right, as Aristotle, Cicero, Locke, Sidney, etc., the historical documents which you mention as in your possession are all all to be found, and I am persuaded you will find to be corroborative of the facts and principles advanced in the Declaration. Thomas Jefferson. You see, Henry Lee wrote him and said, wait a minute, you didn't come up with all these ideas. They're not so new. And Jefferson said, no, of course I didn't. You see, Jefferson was standing on the shoulders of Aristotle and Cicero and Locke and Sidney. And none of them are really taught in our high schools, are they? And very few college students are taught about them either. All these important ideas. In fact, the philosopher who influenced the founders the most during the revolutionary period by far was John Locke. John Locke was an indispensable English thinker during the Enlightenment, and he lived from 1632 to 1704, and in particular his book, The Second Treatise of Government, which was published in 1689, inspired countless leading American colonists and founders, including those who gathered and signed the Declaration of Independence. And pamphlet after pamphlet, writes historian Bernard Balin, the American writers cited John Locke on natural rights and on the social and governmental contract. It was Locke who wrote that man is born with God-given inalienable rights, among them personal and individual liberty. He wrote the state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone and reason, which is that law teaches all mankind who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in life, health, liberty, or possessions. For men being all the workmanship of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master, sent into the world by his order and about his business, they are his property, whose workmanship they are made to last during his, not one another's pleasure. And being furnished with like faculties, sharing all in one community of nature, there cannot be supposed any such subordination among us that may authorize us to destroy one another, as if we were made for one another's uses, as the inferior ranks of creatures are for ours. Locke said, Everyone, as he is bound to preserve himself and not to quit his station willfully, so by the like reason, when his own preservation comes not in competition, 
ought to be as much as he can preserve the rest of mankind, and not unless it be to do justice on an offender, take away or impair the life or what tends to the preservation of life, the liberty, health, limb, or goods of another. And Locke would talk about a circle of freedom surrounding each person and all people at birth. And within that circle is that absolute human right to live and live freely. And this is a natural right born of natural law or the law of nature. It is divine and eternal, unalterable by mankind. This is me writing, not him. Moreover, man also has the ability to reason. And it is through reason that he discovers and discerns natural law, his natural rights, and their application to all of humanity. Mark, this is fascinating, but what are you trying to say? Everything I just said to you, everything that I just read to you, is rejected by the progressive movement. Everything I just said to you, from the top of the show. Everything the founders said in the Declaration of Independence and all the newspapers and pamphlets and essays that they wrote in defense and in support of their position, rejected by the progressive movement. Aristotle, Cicero, Locke, Sidney, rejected by the progressive movement. The founders of this country who I've been talking about, dismissed, smeared by the progressive movement. Because you cannot believe in God-given natural rights, universal truths, right and wrong, good and evil, and be a progressive at the same time. Universal truths, like the golden rule, like the Ten Commandments. You don't even have to be a person of religion or faith to embrace what the founders wrote in the Declaration. This country was founded on these principles, these universal truths. John Locke wrote a whole lot more, and I wrote about it in Ameritopia. I'm not here to hawk books. I'm here to explain what's taking place tomorrow. What really took place the anniversary of yesterday, July 2nd. These men put their lives on the line to do something no other nation on the face of the earth has ever, ever done. Took these universal truths, these eternal principles, and applied them to a society and later a government in the form of the Constitution. And these universal truths talk about the value of individual human beings. That you are not the playthings of other people. That you are not the playthings of government. You are not the playthings of politicians. You are a creature of God. With God-given unalienable rights at the time of birth. This was crucially Important. When John Locke was asked during the time of the Enlightenment, well, you write these wonderful things 
You write these wonderful ideas. Where do they exist? Said they exist in America. America. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's why we're exceptional. Because of the founders. They created an exceptional civil society. Like no civil society ever created by humankind on this planet. That's what the Declaration of Independence represents. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. You, government, you are not entitled to impose your will on us willy-nilly, to bully us, to brutalize us, to steal from us. You're not entitled to stop us from speaking and sharing our opinions. We have a right as individual human beings, far beyond anything government can do or man on this earth can create, to exist as freely as possible, to be as happy as possible. These are our rights. They're not given to us by man or government, and man nor government can take them away. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. And they mean equal before God's eyes. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Meaning, the ability to lead the kind of life that you decide you want to lead. And that to secure these rights in a civil society. Governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. There is no just government without the consent of the governed. Every Word and phrase I have just wrote, read to you is rejected by the modern progressive movement. I've got more on this when I come back. Lovin. I would ask that you stay with me. How many of you have an additional 5000 bucks hanging around? I don't know of anyone who does. I didn't think so, but uh, you're going to need it if your HVAC system burns out because uh, you didn't change your filters. Now, it's mighty hot out there all across the country, and it's been for days, and it's going to be for days. I know you think I'm being mellow, uh, mellow, uh, dramatic, but I'm really not. And, you know, it's bad allergy season. All that junk that doesn't wind up in your lungs winds up in your, your HVAC filters. So spend 15 to 20 bucks. Save your lungs and your HVAC system with fresh filters from my friends at FilterBuy, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. You know, they carry over 600 sizes, and if you need a custom size, they'll make that for you too. 
And by the way, they ship free within 24 hours. And if that isn't enough, they're manufactured right here in the United States. Set up auto delivery like we do here. It just makes life easier. The the nice, clean filters come on a schedule, so you know to take out the dirty ones and put the fresh ones in. And in addition, you'll save 5% on the price. And you'll extend the life of your system. It's getting hotter outside. The last thing you need is a busted HVAC system on top of your allergies. Save time, save money, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com. 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 Tell them Mark Levin sent you. I strongly encourage you to check it out. Now we have two more full hours. But when I tell you the progressive movement, that is the ideological belief system of the modern leadership of the Democrat Party, of most pseudo-reporters in the media, of most in academia, whether it's in our public schools or colleges and universities, when I tell you that they reject what we've been discussing this last hour, the purpose of July 4th, the purpose of Independence Day, the very words in the Declaration of Independence. I'm not kidding. Do you know how I know? Because the intellectuals who undergird the modern progressive movement told us so. In their own writings, which are extensive and elaborate, they tell us, we must reject the American founding. We must reject American history. We must reject the principles in the Declaration. And I'm going to prove it to you when we return. So hang right there. We'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. In a little while, folks, I'm going to be commenting on what's going on with respect to the Supreme Court nomination that's coming from the President of the United States. There is an enormous lobbying effort going on behind the scenes that you're not seeing 
from establishment figures and conservatives and some pseudo-conservatives. It's enormous effort to try and clear the path for Brett Kavanaugh, who is a circuit court judge in Washington, D.C. And when I look at the list that the president has before him and he ran on, I find this very interesting. Uh, And I want to talk about that with you, all you Levinites out there, because the selection will be coming soon. And there's a debate breaking out, but it may be breaking out too late to really try and vet some of these candidates. And you can see the strategy that's in place that anybody who raises a legitimate question about a candidate, particularly Kavanaugh, is immediately slammed by an op-ed or a piece at National Review or somebody else uh, who worked in the Bush administration or who clerked for the judge or is with the Federalist Society or whatever. So there's a campaign going on. I've seen these before. Remember, I'm the guy who was chief of staff to Attorney General Meese. And I don't see this with the other candidates, at least not with respect to me. I'm not being lobbied by anybody else for anything else. So that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Why all the lobbying? Just let his scholarship stand on its own. He didn't mean this, and if you said that, you have it wrong. And I don't need people interpreting decisions for me. I can read them with my own two eyes. It's what I've done most of my career, but I don't want to go there yet. Now, I posited to you that we celebrate Independence Day because we believe in the founding of this country, and this country was founded on certain specific ideas and principles, and that these specific ideas that have created the greatest nation mankind has ever established are specifically rejected by the progressive movement. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. Do you know who Herbert Crowley was? And I, I'm using rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism as a cheat sheet, but after all, I wrote the book. Do you know who Herbert Crowley was? He lived from 1869 to 1930. These are the progeny of Hegel and Marx. These are the, the founding fathers, if you will, of the modern progressive movement. He had enormous influence. He had influence on Theodore Roosevelt, who was a progressive Republican. And he co-founded the magazine, you may have heard of it, The New Republic. But he wrote a book, The Promise of American Life, and it really influenced Theodore Roosevelt in a big way, as well as others. But I want to read to you something that he wrote. So you can understand that I'm not making this stuff up. And when I read it to you, you should be thinking about Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris and all of them. In order, you see, folks, to clear the way for the new progressive enterprise, the project, the utopia, they have to sweep away our history. Now, they do it in multiple ways. They trash the founders as white slaveholders. They talk about white privilege. They point out that there was slavery at the beginning of this nation. Um, So they tear it down. They tear it down. And the only way you see to resolve all these issues 
is to embrace their ideology. The American founding and its principles, and its institutions, and the founders themselves must be disemboweled. So in his book, Progressive Democracy, 1914, Crowley was blunt. Here's what he wrote. As in the case of every great political edifice, see our Declaration and Constitution, are edifices. The materials composing the American system are derived from many different sources and are characterized by unequal values, both as to endurance and as to latent possibilities. The appearance of definiteness and finality, which it derives from its embodiment in specific constitutional documents and other authoritative words, is to a large extent illusory. Both historically and theoretically, the American system is based upon an affirmation of popular political authority. When the colonists proclaimed their independence of the British crown and parliament, the repudiated sovereign had to be replaced with a capable substitute. And this substitute could consist under the circumstances only of the supposed makers of the revolution, the American people as a whole. After the Declaration of Independence, the people, whoever they were and however their power was to be originated and expressed, became the only source of righteous political authority in the emancipated nation. Emphatic, however, as was this assertion of its direct control over its own political institutions by the primitive American democracy, its willingness to restrict its own effective political power was no less definite and insistent. It did not show the slightest disposition to translate this supposedly effective popular control over the institutes of government into active popular control over governmental behavior. He is furious, you see, with these limits on government. The democracy abdicated the continuing active exercise of effective power in the very act of affirming the reality of its own ultimate legal authorities. What he's saying is, because they believe in historic dialecticism, but I won't get into all that. What he's saying there is, why, did we, why, why are we stopping at the American Revolution and the Declaration and the Constitution? Who are these people to say this is it? You have to live within these structures. You have to live within these institutions. We can change all that. We don't have to show fidelity to that. What's the problem? So, he writes, these early American democratic lawgivers had no misgivings as to their own ability to drop up such a code. That is, draw up such a code. Both the political experience of their own forebears and a radical analysis of the origin and the meaning of society demonstrated the existence of certain individual rights as incontestable, indefeasible, and inalienable as the right of the people to institute and alter their form of government. The sacred words must be deposited in the Ark of the Covenant, there to remain inviolate. As long as the commonwealth shall endure. So he's raging against the Declaration of Independence. And he's raging against the Constitution, even the Bill of Rights. He says later, by attempting to define a code of righteous political behavior, which could be enforced as law and which should be morally and legally binding on the people, the Constitution makers were by way of depriving the sovereign of his own and necessary discretionary power. In other words... There they are, reaching from the grave. These white, privileged slave owners. 
controlling what we can do today, controlling our, our ability to expand and progress today. Meanwhile, nobody controlled them. They fought a revolution to throw off the chains of Britain. So why are we required to live under their standards? You see, rejecting universal truths, eternal principles, rejecting the Declaration, rejecting the Constitution. This is how these people think. You see them on TV. You see these professors. You see these, uh, these individuals who represent these left-wing groups, these ethnic front groups, leaders of the Democrat Party. This is their mindset. We are not bound by the past. No more the, the past was bound by what preceded it. So for Crowley and the progressives, the entire process of popular sovereignty exercised through representative republicanism, which led to the drafting, adopting, ratification of the U.S. Constitution, was illegitimate since it lacked direct popular voting. It was illegitimate. It's illegitimate today. And we can replace it. Now, by the way, the irony is, of course, that that kind of the kind of centralized administrative state that Crowley and, and his uh, successors that he advocated and they advocate, and it surrounds us today, is managed by a relative handful of architects, isn't it? All, all, it's all but immune from the popular will, completely impervious to direct popular sovereignty. But, but he wasn't alone in this view. By any stretch of the imagination, he wasn't alone in this view. Uh, one of the men who took this up and argued it very aggressively was Theodore Roosevelt. Another man who argued it very aggressively was one of the intellectuals of the progressive movement, Woodrow Wilson, who had become president. He lived from 1856 to 1824. Here's what he said about the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of uh, July address about the Declaration of Independence when he was president of Princeton, 1907. It is common to think of the Declaration as a highly speculative document, but no one can think it is so who has read it. It is a strong rhetorical statement of grievances against the English government. You know, it has 28, a list of 28 grievances. It does indeed open with the assertion that all men are equal and that they have certain inalienable rights, among them the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It asserts that governments were instituted to secure these rights and can derive their just powers only from the consent of the governed. And it solemnly declares that whenever any government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and so forth. But this would not afford a general theory of government to formulate policies upon. No doubt we are meant to have liberty, but each generation must form its own conception of what liberty is. No doubt we shall always wish to be given leave to pursue happiness as we will, but we are not yet sure where or by what method we shall find it. That we are free to adjust government to these ends, we know. But Mr. Jefferson and his colleagues in the Continental Congress prescribed the law of adjustment for no generation but their own. They left us to say whether we thought the government they had set up was founded on such principles, its powers orig organized in such forms as seemed to us most likely to affect our safety and happiness. They did not attempt to dictate the aims and objects of any generation but their own. Got it? Wilson is saying the Declaration of Independence applied only and exclusively 
to the time of the revolution. There's no effect on us today. We're not bound by that. That's a throwback. Wilson added, so far as the Declaration of Independence was a theoretical document, that is its theory. Do we still hold it? Does the doctrine of the Declaration of Independence still live in our principles of action, in the things we do, in the purposes we applaud, in the measures we approve? It's not a question of piety. We're not bound to adhere to the doctrines held by the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We are as free as they were to make and unmake governments. We are not here to worship men or a document, but neither are we here to indulge in a mere rhetorical or uncritical eulogy. Every 4th of July should be a time for examining our standards, our purposes, for determining afresh what principles, what forms of power we think most likely to affect our safety and happiness. That and that alone is the obligation the Declaration lays upon us. It is no fetish. Its words lay no compulsion upon the thought of any free men, but it was drawn by men who thought, and it obliges those who receive its benefit to think likewise. Am I being clear, Mr. Producer? Woodrow Wilson, who was a great hero of the left. But there was another president who would come not long after Wilson, who would answer Wilson. And his name was Calvin Coolidge. And he would directly admonish Wilson on July 5, 1926, the 30th president of the United States. And when we come back, I want you to hear what Coolidge has to say about Wilson, Crowley, and all the progressives who at that time were essentially uh, almost a, a monopoly of intellectual thought. We'll be right back. Mark in. Every major holiday, Independence, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, are fallen soldiers. I'm quite serious about this. Let us never forget. Now, Calvin Coolidge, this is a very short segment. So as if directly admonishing Woodrow Wilson, July 5, 1926, our 30th president, is a great president. He delivered his own speech in Philadelphia at Independence Hall. He said, The American Revolution represented the informed and mature convictions of a great mass of independent, liberty-loving, God-fearing people who knew their rights and possessed the courage to dare to maintain them. The Continental Congress was not only composed of great men, but it represented a great people. And while its members did not fail to exercise remarkable leadership, they were equally observant of their representative capacity. They were industrious in encouraging their constituents to instruct them to support independence. But until such instructions were given, they were inclined to withhold action. A spring will cease to flow if its source be dried up. A tree will wither if its roots be destroyed. In its main features, the Declaration of Independence is a great spiritual document. It is a declaration not of material, but of a spiritual conception. Equality, liberty, popular sovereignty, the rights of man— these are not elements which we can see and touch. They are ideals. They have their source and their roots in the religious convictions. They belong to the unseen world. Unless the faith of the American people in these religious convictions is to endure, the principles of our declaration will perish. 
We cannot continue to enjoy the result if we neglect and abandon the cause. We are too prone to overlook another conclusion. Governments do not make ideals, but ideals make governments. This is both historically and logically true. He's pounding away at the progressives. Of course, the government can help to sustain ideals and can create institutions through which they can be the better observed, but their source by their very nature, is in the people. The people have to bear their own responsibilities. There is no method by which that burden can be shifted to the government. It is not the enactment, but the observance of the laws that creates the character of a nation. And about the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences, which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore well, very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments uh, derive their just power from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond those propositions. And if anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward to the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. And those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Amen to Calvin Coolidge. This is the battle we're fighting today. The Mike Levin Show. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. You know, those of us who are blessed... To have a microphone like this, to be on almost 400 affiliates, magnificent stations. To be on satellite radio, our wonderful friends over there. To have our own apps. To have podcasts. And in my case, to have access to 10 million of you. Probably many more. We can't even calculate it, quite frankly. We have an opportunity to use these positions that we have by the grace of God, really, for good. Now, you want to be entertaining. You want to be interesting. That's a given. But entertaining and interesting about what? Now, I can't do history lessons here every day. I'd lose a good percentage of the audience. Plus, that's not what I wanted. But there are occasions when I think it's important, like now. Everybody's off or taking off for July 4th. Well, what does it mean? And I've never quite understood why the status progressives celebrate it. You know, they have uh, big fireworks and so forth down on... Uh, near the Washington Monument every July 4th, around the reflection pool or near there. And every now and then I see this guy, Ben Cardin, jump up. He's the left-wing Democrat senator from Maryland, and he's waving the American flag and he's applauding. And I'm thinking about, what are you applauding about? 
You reject these principles. You're a status progressive. You see, there's been a counter-revolution to the American Revolution, and that's what, this, that's what this is. That's precisely what this is. Woodrow Wilson, in 1913, writes a book called The New Freedom. He says, we are in the presence of a new organization of society. Our life has broken away from the past. The life of America is not the life that it was 20 years ago. It's not the life that it was 10 years ago. We've changed our economic conditions absolutely from top to bottom. And with our economic society, the organization of our life. Almost sounds like Marx. The old political formulas do not fit the present problems. They read now like documents taken from a forgotten age. The older cries sound as if they belong to a past age, which men have almost forgotten. You know, we used to think, he wrote, in the old-fashioned days, when life was very simple, that all the government had to do was to put on policemen's uniform and say, now don't anybody hurt anybody else. We used to say that the idea of government was for every man to be left alone and not interfered with except when he interfered with somebody else. And that the best government was the government that as little as governing as possible. That was the idea that obtained in Jefferson's time. But we're coming now to realize that life is so complicated that we are not dealing with the old conditions and that the law has to step in and create new conditions under which we may live, the conditions which will make it tolerable for us to live. This is all coming out of rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism. So Wilson spoke for the progressive movement. He helped launch it, as did others. Same mind, same ilk. In the uh, really, in the 1860s, but well into uh, the 1800s, the early 1900s, and it, and it goes on today, this ideology that was imported from Germany, this counter-revolution that has taken place, and they love to talk about the consent of the governed when they don't believe in it. Did you and I consent to this? This is an invidious ideology. Invidious. Where am I, Rich? Which one here? Oh, you know, my listener was in deep with back taxes to the IRS, roughly 15 grand, and he simply didn't have the money to pay. It was just a matter of time until the IRS garnished his wages and seized his bank account. Now, umpteen times, you and he hear me mention Optima Tax Relief and how Optima knows that behind every tax problem are good people with families, homes, savings, and paychecks that need protection. And umpteen times, he started to call and he didn't. He would start and stop. Have you tried this? Have you done this? Finally, he let the call go through. He did it was the best call he could have made. The tax experts at Optima qualified him for the Fresh Start Initiative Program. That is a special IRS program that saved him thousands and put his tax debt to rest. Optima has resolved over a half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients, and they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. So when you're ready to put your IRS crises behind you, one call is all it takes. One call can start the process to solve it all. Call my trusted friends at Optima Tax Relief at 800-499-6300, 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Oh, yes. And so, you know why we celebrate July 4th. 
You revere the Declaration of Independence. I haven't even gotten into the Constitution, and I won't tonight. But I will get into a related issue. There's a big decision pending for the President of the United States as I speak. And that is the nomination of an individual to be on the Supreme Court. The President can nominate any citizen of age in the entire United States. They don't even have to be a lawyer, uh, lawyers. They don't have to have been judges or law professors. But for the most part, they have been, of course. Lawyers, that is. There's no requirement that there be nine justices on the Supreme Court. That's a practice that's been in place for some time. Franklin Roosevelt tried to change it, being a leading progressive tried to pack the court by adding five more justices because he didn't like, as he would say, having inherited these old men on the court. Even his own Democrat Congress then said no. His own vice president, who'd been Speaker of the House, said no behind the scenes. See, they had some integrity back then. They have none today. Zero. The Supreme Court today operates outside its constitutional mandate. It's an all-powerful court. Five justices can rule the country in many ways if they wish to. They can nationalize decisions as they've nationalized most so-called social issues because you and I are incapable of dealing with issues like abortion and same-sex marriage and prayer and so forth. The justices have to step in and control those issues, apparently. Justices get to decide what kind of health care system we have. They get to decide a lot of things. Tell me in the Constitution anywhere where it says that. There was a big decision called Marbury versus Madison early on in the Republic. I write about this extensively in Men in Black, my first book. John Marshall, who before being Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, was a partisan. Uh, He had been a a member of John Adams' cabinet. And he had a distant cousin by the name of Thomas Jefferson. They couldn't stand each other. And they obviously took a different approach to government and politics. And maybe next week or the week after I'll get into this a little bit, since I wrote about it extensively and other people are reading from it, so I will just deal with it. But that said, Anthony Kennedy, as you know, is retiring in July at some point. And I don't think it's an accident that one of his former law clerks on the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, is being pushed heavily. And I told you, was it two nights ago that I came up with the surmise, Mr. Producer, that maybe Mr. Kennedy's retirement was timed with a wink and a nod that one of his clerks be nominated to the Supreme Court? Didn't I say that? Okay, so nobody whispered that in my ear. just seems like something of that sort happened. Why would Mr. Kavanaugh jump to the top of the list? Why would the Federalist Society be throwing their weight behind him? Not officially, but clearly. Why would the White House Counsel's Office be doing exactly the same thing? Why would all the Bushies out there, many of whom are never Trumpers, be scaring around in the shadows promoting this guy? It causes me concern when I see this kind of lobbying. It just does. I'm sure other candidates are lobbying, but not like this. You should go to National Review Online right now and see what's up there. 
Immediately, one of his clerks, former clerks, at Kevin, look how they're trashing our guy. Excuse me, we're allowed to talk about your guy as we're allowed to talk about any of the guys or gals who are up. Look how they're purposely twisting his opinion. And some of these people are my friends. And they are almost as hysterical as leftists, which is an immediate red flag to me. Immediate red flag to me. I thought all these people on the list would be outstanding Supreme Court justice. Not just this one guy. And he's written about 300 opinions. And I must say, I've looked at the so-called top opinions and some of the ones that are considered controversial, including a particular dissent. He hasn't said anything profound. He hasn't written anything profound. Some of his writings are quite good. Some are not. I'm not saying I'm opposed to him. I'm not saying I'm going to fight to stop him. But there are other people on that list who deserve a lot closer examination from my perspective. The President of the United States appointed a law professor from Notre Dame, Amy Barrett, to the Seventh Circuit. Now, the the propaganda that's putting out by the pro-Kavanaugh side out there is she's only been on the circuit seven months. Therefore, and I'm getting this in emails, therefore, she really doesn't have enough of a record to review. Of course, she has a record to review. She didn't just pop up suddenly and there she is. She's been writing 10, 12, 15 years about textualism, about originalism. Hell, she's got a great Columbia Law Review article I read yesterday where she hits it out of the park. She's an originalist scholar. She's an originalist in the camp, intellectually, I would argue, of a Thomas and a Gorsuch. They're originalists. And then I read up on Kavanaugh. He wrote a great piece a couple of years ago on the subject, but he wrote it a couple of years ago. In other words, when he was vying and hoping to be vying at some point for a Supreme Court position. Not so with Barrett. She wrote her piece, I'm trying to remember it, off the top of 2003, something like that. So I, I don't know. I, I, just, I just find this campaign, and I've seen these things before, but this one's quite extraordinary. It's been under the radar for the most part, but then certain individuals keep popping up on Fox, and they say, well, these four people are good, but Kavanaugh, and, they all, and Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh, and I'm getting calls on Kavanaugh. What the hell's going on here? It's a very sophisticated campaign that's taking place to try and squash any potential challenge or questions. Are you out of your mind? You're kind of twisting what they said, and... And how does this guy know what he meant by this? Okay, the fact that this debate is occurring is a little bit nerve-wracking to me. This is a 30-year appointment. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything particularly wrong with this man. But why are we excluding everybody else? Why did he speed to the top of the list? Could it be that he's on the D.C. circuit in Washington, D.C.? 
and most of these other folks are not? I'm just raising these questions. So Barrett's public commitment to originalism, textualism and originalism, is well known among people like me and constitutional scholars and judges. Kavanaugh does not have much of a public commitment to textualism or originalism, and I don't care what the hell they write at National Review or who the hell calls me from the Federalist Society. I've got my own two eyes. I know what I read. I've been doing this my whole life. But the lobbying campaign is extraordinary. Now, this guy worked for George W. Bush. That's fine. A lot of good people work for George W. Bush. Uh, he worked under Karl Rove. Uh-oh. That concerns me, frankly. And the Bush people... And the Cheney people are pushing like hell for this guy. And they're contacting me. Many of whom despise Donald Trump. So again, my antenna go up. I'm not saying this guy is, is terrible. I'm not saying he shouldn't be nominated. I'm just saying perhaps there are others who are better suited. And about whom we can be more certain. I'll be right back. in. Nobody's trying to destroy Brett Kavanaugh. People have legitimate questions, as they would with any candidate. Long knives aren't out for the guy. As far as I know, people have legitimate questions. Despite all of his opinions, there's some gaps in knowledge about the gentleman. Despite his long history in Washington, D.C. And let me tell you, he's going to be scrutinized by the left should he be the nominee. So I think it's wrong to damn those who have a question. Looking here at a Washington Compost piece, a bunch of haters have come out against Judge Kavanaugh, wrote David Latt, the founding editor of the legal website Above the Law. The attacks lack merit, especially the ones from the right. I don't know what he's talking about. What haters? So now you're not allowed to ask questions. This is what I'm saying. You see the juggernaut that's developing here? So don't ask questions, or you're carrying long knives, or you're out to destroy him. I'm not out to do any of those things, and I don't think anyone else is. There's some very prominent conservative lawyers, constitutionalists, some are professors, some are fellow judges who have questions. And we're going to ask our questions. And I don't think that should be viewed as uh, trying to destroy the man. Do you, Mr. Producer? I'm certainly not out to destroy the man. Just want some answers. You know, if you've been thinking about your home security... There's no better time than right now. You've heard me talk about Simply Safe Home Security, incredible protection, intuitive, thoughtful design, fair, reasonable prices. Right now, in honor of the 4th of July, I worked with Simply Safe to put together a really great offer that's just for fans of this show. The pros over at Simply Safe assembled a really great home security system. It's got entry sensors, it's got motion sensors, glass break sensors, a security camera, everything you need to stop criminals from touching your home and your family. There's a special bonus for listeners of my show. You can take $200 off this package. Complete protection for your home. 
Simply Safe won CNET's Editor's Choice for Home Security. It also won PC Magazine's Editor's Choice. The Wire Cutter called it the best home security. It's really an incredible system. It's cutting edge, folks. Take $200 off when you order your system today. And it's affordable, too. At SimplySafeMark.com. That's SimplySafeMark.com to protect your home and family. And get $200 off, too. SimplySafeMark.com. I don't understand that. We're not allowed to even have a discussion about a supposed front runner for the Supreme Court, or you're a hater, or you're trying to knife the guy in the back. If I say anything harsh about the man, no, not a thing. And there are other people I would question, too. I think we have to, folks. This is our court. Those are our seats. And this is a lifetime appointment. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. This is our three. I am Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, Our final hour. I will be back on Monday. We have a wonderful best of tomorrow. Two great guest hosts, Larry O'Connor and Brian Mudd. They're great guys, too. And they're really good at what they do. And I hope you have a wonderful July 4th. That's the official Independence Day. The actual Independence Day, of course, was July 2nd, but that's fine. July 4th is great. But here we are, Independence Day, let's say tomorrow, and all that comes with it, all the meaning that's applied to it. And now we are told that if you just ask some legitimate questions without trying to sabotage a potential nominee or so forth, which, of course, is not my goal if the president nominates this fellow Kavanaugh, that you're a backstabber or you're a hater. This is is the problem when you're met with that kind of a furious over-the-top reaction or some of these really long-winded almost unhinged pieces that i'm reading in defense of the gentleman it does make you scratch your head why why so aggressive And why is the response immediate? I'll tell you why. Because this is a campaign. And Kavanaugh is campaigning for the slot, which is perfectly fine. And he has people helping him. It's a campaign led by one organization or another or somebody in the White House or maybe the judge himself. I don't know. These things don't just happen spontaneously. All right, somebody reply to that guy. Somebody reply to that one. Don't let him say that. Remember the dissent here. Get that. No, they got that wrong. Right, Ed? Ed and Shannon, these are buddies of mine. Pretty much, I think. And others. But some of us are not invested in any of these candidates. In other words, we're not invested in any of their campaigns. We're trying to figure out from our own knowledge and background and reading 
who would be best for the country. And we have a right to express ourselves before the president makes a selection as well. And we should not be quieted and hushed and trashed if we open our mouths. These guys are acting like the attackers against Bob Bork and Clarence Thomas. The very people who say they hate that sort of thing are doing exactly that, pretty much. You know what? They must be backstabbers and uh, haters. Why? Has been nominated already? Has the guy been nominated already? And that's the other thing. This campaign with some of these Bush officials and never Trumpers and some pro-Trump folks, too. Uh, Why are you so desperate? Why are you so worked up? There's a lot of great candidates on that list. And some, I would argue, who are much more predictably originalist and textualists, I will use the word that I like, constitutionalists, than Kavanaugh, who for some is harder to read. Why can't we say that? You better not say that or else. Or else what? It's very strange. I remember being among those who first came out against Harriet Myers. An idiotic decision by George W. Bush to nominate somebody, but I can vouch for her. Well, who cares that you can vouch for her? Once she's on the Supreme Court, you can vouch for anything. And that's the point here, ladies and gentlemen. This is why I dismiss phone calls I'm getting, even though they're good friends and I, and I adore most of them. They, they're not going to be on the Supreme They can vouch for anything. If one of these candidates turns, what are they going to do? Leave the country? Those are, you know what, I vouch for him. Then he turns three years later. Well, what about that? Well, you know, I made a mistake. Well, what do you mean? And to me, and my loyal Levinites out there, I feel like I have a responsibility to raise these things. I can't just, you know what, uh, I'll use my audience to get behind this one. and No, if I don't believe it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to use this platform to campaign for somebody who I have some questions about. If the president resolves those questions, then that's important to know, too. I said, I'm not campaigning against this guy, but I have some questions. And I'd be like, well, you know, let me answer your questions, Mark. No, 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 no. I've read these issues. I've read these. <clears throat> Hold on one second. <coughs> That's the, it's not a question that can be answered by a surrogate. Let me tell you what he meant, Mark. I don't need that. Okay? I don't even want to hear that. If somebody's calling me about that, don't call me. Let me tell you what he meant by that, Mark. Like I need an interpreter. Like I'm some kind of pseudo reporter who needs to be fed information. I heard a wonderful reporter on my wonderful uh, Fox News channel basically was fed information. Uh, Kavanaugh is clearly the leader, but some social conservatives are raising questions. That's the way this is being portrayed by the Bush people. The Bush supporters of Kavanaugh are telling the rhinos and others, all right, this guy's tolerable, you know, he's not a kook, you know, he's pretty good. And then they're telling uh, evangelicals, hey, he's reliable, don't worry, I vouch for him. Okay. That's politics, that's a political campaign. I want nothing to do with that. I'm looking at what the man has said, and when he has said these things. 
by the way, I'm not saying he's uh, he's horrific in any respect. I certainly am not saying that. What we're trying to do, you and I, is predict, and it's very difficult, and we could be dead wrong, is predict a lifetime of decisions. To predict a lifetime of decisions. You know, you've had candidates that were thoroughly vetted, and they go to the Supreme Court, and they're pretty good for a year or two, maybe three at the outside, and then, boom, they switch. And the media know how to do this. They write slobbering, positive profiles to get the originalist, constitutionalist to move over. And once they do, they get style section write-ups, and aren't they great, and they're independent thinkers, and they're moderates, and they're, and they're this and they're that. And then uh, you get a guy like Thomas, right-winger, right-winger, right-winger. And after a while, you know, you're a human being, even if you're a justice. Last time I checked, they are. Uh, that affects you and your family. Some of them play to the Klieg lights. They do. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a, is a primary example of it. She plays to the Klieg lights. She can't do enough interviews. And, but anyway, I don't believe I've taken a call all day here. But we've had a lot to talk about, I think. Ed, Kansas City, Missouri, the great KSGF, or KCMO. Which one is it, Ed? Uh, KCMO. All right, sir. Thank you. That is the affiliate in uh, Kansas City. Go right ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, first of all, i got to thank you so much. I'm a first-time caller. Thanks for taking my call. And I'm running around doing errands for the kids, picking stuff up, and I'm listening to you teach us and instruct us on the Declaration, the basic principles, and how they all are being resisted by the progressive movement. And you've got me so excited. I've known these things, but you know, sometimes, Mark, light bulbs don't turn on. You know, you just don't put it all together. And I'm so thankful that you make it easy. You make it easy for me. Um, I teach about 100, 150 teenagers. I, I work a lot with millennials. And I am so excited to link to them the founding fathers, the basics of our freedoms in natural law, in individual liberty, limited government, and tie them to the eternal truths you're talking about for why we live in such a great country. So I just want to encourage you and tell you how much I love listening to what you have to say. Well, you're very, very kind, and uh, we do take these programs and archive them. We go back many, many years, really within uh, 30 to uh, to uh, 40 or 50 minutes at the end of the program. They're there. So... Ed, I want to thank you for your call. I much, much, much appreciate it. I'll say to Mr. Producer sometimes during the break, am I getting too heavy? Am I boring people? And he'll always say, no, 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 you're very, very, no, people want to hear this. So, you know, I believe Mr. Producer. Otherwise, he's fired, of course. No, no, just kidding. Terry, Carteret, New Jersey, XM Satellite. Where is Carteret, New Jersey? Exit 12 on the turnpike. Exit 12. Well, see, I never get there. I always take exit 10. Yeah, it's north of um, New Brunswick and south of Newark. Yeah, because I'm, I'm busy getting on the Garden State Parkway. But anyway, how are you, sir? Okay. Uh, you, you, you're great. Okay. But I got a question. So I always wanted to know yes, sir. why the Dutch and the uh, Norwegians and all the other people that were here at the time of the revolution, how that figured into the separation from England. Well, this is an interesting question. <coughs> One second. 
I don't I think, think th- you're, you're talking about the Dutch, the people with Dutch heritage in the colonies or the, or the, what are you asking? So people from, from Holland and people from, um, uh, Spain. Well, they didn't, they didn't, people from Holland didn't have a, a big role in what was taking place. So they didn't owe allegiance to uh, King George? What's that? Did they owe allegiance to King George? Well, I don't know. I don't know the history of Holland that well, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, okay. See, Terry, I'll tell you what I know and what I don't know. Right? Okay. All right, man. Thank you. I have no idea what the people of Holland were thinking. Just, I I don't know. Uh, How? Manhattan Beach, California, the other end of the country, 870, the answer, the great KRLA. Go. Hi, Mark. I'm a long, long time listener, and it's the first time I've been able to get through, and I've been wanting to tell you how much I appreciate the topics that you pick and the analysis that you give to me, and I think it's great. Thank and you. And we've got to have more of it. Thank you. I, I called to uh, tell you that... Uh, I've, I've followed what was going on in the revolution through my history books, as you have, and it turns out that uh, I, I had a, a grandfather who was at, at Bunker Hill. Wait, 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 a grandfather? Well, if I have enough greats in there. Yeah, a great-great-great-grandfather or a great-great-grandfather, maybe. Yeah, I'm 11th century, I mean 11th generation. Wow. American, anyway, you know, my, my first grand, grandfather or great-grandfather got to uh, Boston in 1640. That's amazing. And well, they sir? still got homes in, in, in Boston. Right. And today on, on Front Street, you get the Paul Revere Memorial Association in, in, in one building and right across the the courtyard is is Hitchborn House next to it, and that's our family name. Isn't that great? Well, I th- I think so, and I like to talk about it. But that there's lots of things about the Battle of Bunker Hill that haven't haven't been told, and maybe I can. Well, you know, we're not going to have time right now. Um, I talk often about Dr. Joseph Warren. You're familiar with him? Are you familiar with him, sir? Yes, I am. Okay. Really remarkable man. Yeah, I mean, he was, he died when he was 34 years old. He was a physician. He actually was one of the great leaders among the early revolutionaries in, uh, in the Boston area. And uh, he was killed at Breed's Hill, which is considered part of Bunker's Hill right below it. Uh, shot right between the eyes at, uh, at close range. Uh, because the British wanted him killed. Uh, he was one of the great leaders, as I said, of the early revolution. And uh, I purchased a document, and I look at this document from time to time, about 10 to 12 days prior to his death, where they wrote the, uh, uh, the uh, I guess it was the assembly in New York, begging them for gunpowder, that they didn't have enough gunpowder. The problem was, uh, New York didn't have enough gunpowder either. So it's not clear whether they sent them any gunpowder or not, but it's likely they didn't. And they had pushed down, if you know the story of Bunker Hill, <clears throat> they, they, there were waves of uh, redcoats coming, British coming, and they pushed them back successfully two or three times, but then the third time or fourth time, they ran out of gunpowder. 
And uh, Warren, <clears throat> who was uh, really at that point appointed at the level of general, uh, he stayed in the front uh, with his militia and pulled out his sword and fought to the end, and and it cost him his life. And they would uh, they chopped up his body, they buried it in a uh, shallow grave, they spat upon it, they urinated upon it. The British were brutal, and. Um, he was one of the great and in many ways today unknown heroes of the American Revolution early on, even before there was a so-called revolution, but it actually had broken out. And <clears throat> he had to be identified by a man who put a false tooth in his mouth, a false tooth that was made of iron, and his name was Paul Revere. Paul Revere, you see, the so-called Paul Revere ride, there were actually two of them who rode, and they rode at the direction of Dr. Warren. So that in and of itself is, a, is an amazing story, and he was an amazing man. And what I was saying is I have this document in which they uh, wrote and were asking New York for the extra gunpowder was signed by three of them, including Joseph Warren. And uh, I have it in my safe, and at times I wonder if I should donate it somewhere so people can see it publicly, but I'm not sure where. Sir, thank you for your call. I much appreciate it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. you all. The ratings came in for Life, Liberty, and Levin this past Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, where my guest was Sean Hannity. It was our highest rated program February, March, April, May, June, in what, five months since the show's been aired. Uh, it was the highest rated program all Sunday night on all cable. Beat CNN, beat MSNBC. And, uh, that's because of you. And it was a fascinating discussion. And you got to see a side of Sean you probably don't see that often. And uh, he's quite a remarkable person. And uh, this coming week, uh, there'll be a summary run. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's Gary Sinise because, obviously, I will be out. And the following week, I believe, is scheduled uh, Mike Huckabee. No, I've never sat down and talked with Mike Huckabee. I saw him in Israel. I believe he was on the radio show a few times, including endorsing Convention of States. But I've never really sat down with him, gone through his background, gone through his beliefs, talked to him about his family, and so forth and so on. So that should be fascinating. We have a whole lot of very interesting guests. We're going to have Alan West in the future and uh, Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars. Um, just... People with different backgrounds. Like I said, when we developed this program, I want one-on-one interviews or one-on-two for the entire hour. Individuals that have an impact on society, individuals who are interesting, who have a story to tell or can provide an example. Uh, Individuals who want to debate me, which apparently are few and far between. So uh, I want to thank you. We we had a hell of uh, of a ratings coup there. Patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877 381 3811. 
You know, Casper was created with one goal, deliver a great night's sleep at an incredible value. This 4th of July holiday, experience Casper for yourself and transform your sleep like I did. Casper's team of engineers work nonstop prototyping, collecting data, and engineering what is certainly the most comfortable mattress. The Casper mattress has a unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment so you feel perfectly balanced and comfortable. That's thanks to the breathable material, and you're guaranteed to sleep cool all summer long. Try Casper yourself for 100 nights in your own home, absolutely risk-free. They ship it to you free in a compact box. It is really quite incredible. Plus, if you don't love it, if you don't love it as much as I love mine, you don't have to put it back in that box. They come pick it up and refund you everything, no questions asked. So there's no risk. This July 4th, Casper's getting sleepy for summer. Go to Casper.com and save up to $225 off your order. Limited time only. Terms and conditions apply. That's Casper.com. Casper.com. I cannot recommend it strongly enough. Because that's what I sleep on every single night. And every now and then I got a snooze in the afternoon on my Casper mattress. So I hope you'll check it out. I want to read you a little story. Now, you know, I was involved in Troopathon, proudly so. I believe it was last week or the week before. And I try to stay involved in those kinds of activities so we don't forget our troops. Because they're still out there. Now, you wouldn't know it with the news coverage. Uh, You know, they got off Stormy Daniels, but, you know, they'll get on something else. But there was this piece in the Daily Mirror of Britain that caught my attention. You know, I'm a dog person, and many of you are too. Terminally ill dogs at canine hospice treated to steak dinners, trips to McDonald's, and birthday parties in their final days. Former nurse Nicola Coyle runs the Gray Muzzle Canine Hospice Project in Mansfield, obviously Britain, thought to be the first of its kind. These, these photos are heartbreaking, aren't they, Mr. Producer? Absolutely I mean, a former nurse has set up one of the world's first dog hospices where pooches are allowed to steak dinners and drive throughs at McDonald's in their final days. Nicola Coyle runs the Gray Muzzle Canine Hospice Project for dogs which are expected to have around six months to live from her home in Mansfield. Nicola, 46, who aims to ensure the animals get a nice ending, told the Nottingham Post it can be an utterly heartbreaking job. Oh, I bet. But I just can't bear the thought of them spending their final moments without the love they deserve. And then you look at these photos. And the dogs are eating ice cream cones, and they're eating hamburgers, and they're having a hell of a good time. If they're well enough, we take them for a day at the seaside. They get fish and chips on the beach and ice cream. We'll also take them down to the local pub. It's really dog-friendly, and they'll get a steak dinner, too. The dogs Nicola takes in come from kennels, vet surgeries or charities, where they might otherwise expect to be put down within seven days, if not rehomed. The mum of two helps them complete a bucket list, taking them for ice creams on the beach and throwing birthday parties for them. 
You know what? If you're not a dog lover, you think this is nuts or you think I'm nuts. But if you are a dog lover, you know exactly what's going on here. And it's a lovely thing, but it also breaks your heart. There's some jobs out there that are just so tough, I don't even know how people do them. Like a child oncologist. I don't know how they do their jobs. I mean, I understand that I'm saying they're crucially important. But what you must see each and every day just has to be very, very difficult. Uh, But anyway, let us take some calls, okay? Let us go. Brandon, Amarillo, Texas, the great WKXV. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, I've been listening to you for probably the better part of 20 years. Um, It started the first time I heard Sean call you the great one, which is really cool. Um, You said what? I I didn't even hear you. What about Um, you've been listening to me for 20 years and what? I'm sorry, sir. Well, I got turned on to you by Sean the first time he called you the great one when, oh, you know, yeah. when I was listening to him. Well, he's um, a good man. Yeah, and I listen to you with my boys um, every afternoon on our drive home. And the last 10 minutes of your show every Friday always gets my oldest so hyped up it's not even funny. <laughs> um, but, but let me, before you finish, let me tell you something. Sean Hannity is among the first people who contacts me when I win the Hall of Fame, uh, when I have a TV show, when there's something that goes on like that. It's a very competitive business. Most people hope you get hit by a bus and you don't show up the next day so they can replace you. Or they're jealous of you or whatever. Hannity is just not that way. And so he'll get on the phone and say, congratulations, or how can I help you, or... You know, your show's great or something like that. I just want you to know that about him. He's he's just a very, very good buddy. Hey, yes, sir. I, uh, the reason I was calling is you hear young progressives nowadays, and they always, you know, doubt the party line of the older people, and they're not a student of history, so they don't understand that, like uh, the Soviet Union, Venezuela, Nazi Germany, um, all those places, only the elites have things when you get to the end of progressivism. They promise you the world, and then they rip your world out from under it so they can live on it. And, and you're right. And we have living examples today of these societies. We have historical examples of the past, and you mentioned some. So why don't they get it? Why don't they comprehend it? It's not, it's not an abstraction. It's reality. Exactly, but history has also been pretty much erased from school, and you don't even have to take U.S. history in college to be a history major. That tells you all you need to know. And Mm -hmm. so me and my boys listening to you and actually hearing about the Constitution and my boys asking me questions on why the Supreme Court even exists is, is a way for me to share something with them that I'm fairly certain their school is not going to. You're a good man. Thank you, my friend. And I'm sure your uh, your kids are the better for it, too. Thank you. Don, Jacksonville, Florida, the great W. Bob, W-B-O-B. Go. Good evening, Mark. Thank you uh, for yes, everything. I, I, uh, I, I double what the guy just said, uh, previous caller. Thanks for the show tonight. It really is truly, I could listen to these all night. Just to let you know um, what I've done as far as being moving from a casual learner of history 
I visited the Reagan Library. You get such a connection with Ronald Reagan. And I just started the course at, uh, with Larry Arn at uh, Hillsdale on the Constitution. Wow, you're terrific. And, oh, my gosh. I went out today. This, this, why this, this show, the timing is great. I bought Politics for Aristotle. I bought John Locke's Second Treatise. I just mm-hmm. finished a, a biography, which I, or not a biography, but a book on Bunker Hill, because I just visited up in Massachusetts about a month ago. I got Plato's The Republic. It's, so thank you for the inspiration to motivate me into, into wanting to learn more. And it's really a way to me to get a connection with the founders. I would, uh, at least it works for me, not, not for everybody, but it works for me that it's, it's, it's truly enlightening. So tonight's show was, was a godsend, and I really want to thank you for tonight. And well, Don, listen, I want to thank you. And you're a uh, participating citizen. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Matter of fact, I want all of you out there to do me a favor. Those of you who've listened to tonight's show or read any of my books or listened to any past shows, I want you now to go to Wikipedia, put in my name, read what they say about me, particularly the latter third of what they say about me. And you decide if what they've written about me, the leftists who get in there and edit it, have any relationship to the reality of what I do behind this microphone. Just check it out as a curiosity. I absolutely will. I, 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 uh, I, I fear what I'll find there, but I also um, understand what I find on something like that. But uh, you are truly a modern-day patriot, and I'm not kissing up. You are. Um, thank you. Thank you Thanks, Don, and have a wonderful uh, fourth, Jacksonville, Florida. All right, let's see here if I can get my screen back. Oksana, Levittown, Pennsylvania, the great WFBG. Go. Hey, Mark. First thing first, I wanted to let you know, thank you for taking my call. Thank you. And Thank you. And uh, the reason I wanted to call in is just to really back up uh, your past few callers. Uh, First thing first, I wanted to let you know that I am a millennium. I am a dreamer. I came here uh, from Ukraine. I became a U.S. citizen the legal way. Good for Uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just wanted to say that I wish uh, and encourage millenniums to be at least willing to sit down and listen to other people, even if you disagree with them, because you guys just put it all out there. You back it up with facts. You back it up with videos. I've been following you. I've been following Hannity. I also uh, watch and listen to you through CRTV, which I highly recommend to anybody. And uh, you guys are doing such a great job. It's easy to follow. It's easy to understand. You really chew through every information out there. Uh, And like I said, even if you don't agree with some of the things, it's something to consider. Think about. Something to listen to. Yeah. Well, you're terrific. You You said you're a millennial. I appreciate it. Don't hang up. We'll send you a copy of Plunder and Deceit. I appreciate that. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. You know, if you shower, brush your teeth, or try to make your hair look presentable, here's some good news for you. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, everything. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that won't break your budget, too. 
and you'll feel the difference. Plus, shipping is free with your membership. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. It comes with Amber, Lavender, Calming Body Cleanser, their world-famous Shave Butter, and their best razor, the six-blade executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. It is a wonderful service with wonderful products. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash mark, dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. Well, okay, let's continue. By the way, it's a hell of a UFC uh, ticket Saturday night, Mr. Producer, on pay-per-view. No, they don't give me anything. I just like watching it. I'm obsessed with it, quite frankly, with MMA. But the heavyweight fight's going to be very, very good. I hope I'm home in time to watch it. Let's see what else in sports. LeBron James went to L.A. as we thought he would. I mean, his family lives there. He's got a mansion out there. Now he's going to pay 13.3% state income taxes. So congratulations on that. Yeah, we're flirting here. I am with doing a one-hour or two-hour weekend sports show. Have I told anybody this, Mr. Producer? I floated it a couple of weeks ago. I think I'd like to do that. I need to talk to Stephen A., who could tell me how to do it. He's like the rain man on sports, isn't he? Every player, every sport, college, professional, high school. Guy knows everything. Everything. UFC, soccer. You go, whoa, whoa, what's this? Everything. Plus, he has a personality. Mostly sportscaster guys don't. Like deer in the headlights. All right, let's continue. Brian Henderson, Nevada, the great K-Don, K-D-W-N, go. Yo, Mark, I would love to listen to your sports show and interact with you. That'd be terrific. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, yeah. Well. I I wanted to bring up the last time we were asked to, just don't worry about anything. There's a prominent conservative who is vouching for this Supreme Court nominee. The nominee was Justice David Souter. John Sununu was the one vouching for him, mm-hmm. who happened to be governor and then President Bush's chief of staff. Mm-hmm. And my way of looking, it was one of the worst fiascos we've had in recent memory. Now, now I think Souter was on the circuit court for like a year or two, but I could be wrong about that somewhere in New England. But you're saying it really doesn't matter. You don't feel like you know enough about this guy. Exactly. I had paused the other morning when a prominent radio talk show host, I won't mention his name. No, no. Uh, to, to say morning glory, but who happens to be a centrist, a moderate at best, was touting the laurels of this guy. That's the first time my hackles went up. And then when I listened to you talk about the connection possibly between uh, advising John Roberts about the, the Obamacare thing uh, and that he had... You know, well, he wasn't so much advising John Roberts. I, I didn't like... I read the oral argument. Yes. Uh, I have a transcript of the oral argument, and the things he was saying troubled me a lot. He was throwing out, well, if you really want to do this, and I'm just paraphrasing, here, here's one way you could do it or another. He threw out three examples of what Congress could do to accomplish what it wanted to accomplish. And I'm saying, first of all, why are you doing that? You're a judge. Secondly... Why are you supporting this? You're a judge. And then you'll see, they'll write right away, wow, you don't know what he was saying, you're just surmising. I know what I read. 
And again, I'm not saying the guy is a is a leftist or anything else. I'm just answering some questions. I'm not a hater, not a backstabber. I don't even know the guy. No. Brian, I want to th- go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, nor, nor am I. And when you get that kind of pushback, there's a reason for it. And I like you. That troubles me even more with all the pushback coming back from certain people. Uh, it, it just troubles me. My hackles are up, and I'm hoping that we pick a different justice. By the way, how many hackles do we have? I don't know. They're getting pretty uh, few and far between. What exactly is a hackle? <laughs> I used to know a guy by the name of Bob Hackle, by the way. <laughs> I think it's a feather, isn't it? <laughs> the it's birds, me. when their hackles get Well, I'll, I'll buy into that. Okay, yes. All right, Brian. Great call, buddy. I appreciate it. Evan, Columbus, Ohio, the great WTVN country. Go. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Mark. You bet. Um... Hey, so uh, to, to piggyback off what you just said, uh, I, I believe the, the most important characteristic of any justice is judicial humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the understanding that the judiciary is third amongst the other branches. Um, and, and to caveat on what you guys were just talking about, I feel like Justice Roberts, in his opinion about the Affordable Health Care Act, was talking about judicial humility when he allowed that uh, ruling to go through. Um, Well, judicial humility is a good thing. That is, that justices shouldn't be making law from the bench or imposing their personal policy preferences. But that cannot be an excuse for uh, failing to apply the Constitution. And if you're going to have judicial review and you're going to exercise it robustly, then at least exercise it when it comes to actually applying the Constitution to what took place. Don't make things up like Roberts did in order to get around it. Thank you for your call, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emerging personnel. Have a wonderful Independence Day tomorrow, a wonderful weekend if you're taking it off. I will be back on Monday, but we have wonderful shows for you during the course of the week. God bless each and every one of you. Take care. Take care.